God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the ways in which you have moved in our lives and in our midst, God. And so, God, we just we come to you as we do every, every Sunday morning, and we just dedicate this time to you. God, these songs that we have sung, they are to you, God. These, the, the word that we are about to go in, this is for you, God. And so, God, I just pray that you would speak through your word once again, that you would speak through me with the words that come out of my mouth, be your words for your people on your day, God. We're here to hear from you. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, we've been talking over the last uh, four weeks about Old Testament promises of the coming Messiah. We looked in Isaiah for a few weeks. We were in Isaiah talking about the promise of the birth of Jesus, that he would come, that he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, that he would come, that he would bring hope into hopelessness, that he would bring light into darkness, into fearful gloom. Isaiah says, you know, this is the, this is the environment that Jesus would coming into, but the zeal of the Lord Almighty would accomplish this, that there would be a son. A son would be given. His name would be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We were promised in Isaiah chapter 9 that the Savior would be born. Two chapters later, the next week, we looked at Isaiah chapter 11 and looked at the promise of this Messiah's life. What is the life of this Messiah going to look like? We looked at uh, how Isaiah says he's going to be, uh, be one who has the Holy Spirit, which we see fulfilled in Jesus. He is going to be one who contends for the weak and the poor. We see this in Jesus. He's going to be one who loves righteousness and who lives a perfect life, which we see in Jesus. We see these Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. We see about his birth. We see about his life. We also see in Isaiah chapter 53 about the suffering of Jesus, that Jesus came for a reason, that he came to, to take on our sin, right? that he, he took on our sin, took on the punishment for our sin. And we see the suffering that the Messiah must go through. We see this fulfilled in Jesus. And then last week we looked Last week, we looked at 2 Samuel and saw about the coming kingdom that Jesus would bring. That God promises David and Samuel that, that he would bring someone to sit on the throne, on his throne, forever. And we see that fulfilled in Jesus. We see all of these Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. And, and as we now, on today, on December 26th, we're on... This side of that promise, metaphorically, correct? Uh, we are, Jesus has come. The light of the world is here. So, so what do we do now? Right? We see these Old Testament prophecies. We see them all fulfilled. We see this all happen in Jesus. And, and now that we're on this side of the promise, we await another promise of Scripture, a second coming of Jesus. That Jesus did not just come once, that Jesus would come again, and he would bring a new heaven and a new earth. You read the book of Revelation, and there's all kinds of different prophecies about what would happen when Jesus comes. Now, we can't do the same thing with those prophecies that we did in the Old Testament, because we're not on this side of that promise. We're still on the waiting side of that promise, much like the people that Isaiah was writing to were on. All we can do is we can wait and we can hope for the second coming. And we know that scripture says that he will come again. He will establish a new heaven and a new earth. And now, much like the people of the Old Testament who are waiting for the coming Messiah, we wait for the Messiah to come again. 
This is where we are right now in December of 2021. We are awaiting the Messiah. We are awaiting Advent. Advent is more than just a a four-week season of the year. Advent is our life. We await the coming Messiah. We await the second coming of this Messiah. The question is, how should we wait? What are some things we can be doing now to better prepare for the coming Messiah? The book of 2 Peter, Peter actually answers this question for us. If you want to go there with me, 2 Peter chapter 3. We're not going to spend too long here, but I just want to, I want to go here for a second. Peter is reminding these people that Jesus would come again, just like he said he would do. And he's telling them exactly what they should be doing as they wait. And here's, here's what we read in 2 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Remember, this is the second coming that he's talking about. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and all the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them all of, all, of, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. How then should we wait? We should strive to live holy and godly lives. This is what we should be doing. We should be striving to live holy and godly lives. We should be striving, as verse 18 says, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To grow. That's what we're here to do. Every day from now until Jesus comes. (laughs) No, that's a saying, until Jesus comes. But now until Jesus comes. We need to be focused on living holy and godly lives and growing the way that God would have us to grow. Grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is what he's saying. He's saying live the life that God has called you to live. Grow in the areas where you need to grow to look more and more like Christ. This is our mission. This is our goal as we look forward to the second advent. Now, I was reminded last week by a couple of you, that this week is supposed to be my New Year's sermon. <laughs> One that we do every year, a New Year's sermon. And uh, you know, at first I was, I was thinking about it and I thought, you know what, I don't really wanna do that this year. But then this morning when I woke up, God just kinda of put it on my heart. You need to do it again. And here is why you need to do it again. Because this is how we continue to grow. 
and to live godly lives. This is how we continue to grow and how we begin to, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, and at first, you know, I was a little mad about it, but I thought, you know what? It's a great reminder. It's a great challenge to actually go, go further into living the life that God is calling us to live. Because the life that God calls us to live doesn't just happen. God enables us to be able to do it. He gives us the power to be able to live the life that he's calling us to live. But it's up to us to put it into action. It's up to us to actually go out and to live the life that God is calling us to live. And for, for, for some of us, there are things in our lives that we might need to change this year to better live the way that God is calling us to live. Maybe there's some things we need to change in our lives, but we, we need to do it. So, here we go. Anybody love a good story? I love a good story. I love stories. I love telling stories. I love hearing stories. It's always fun to, when you get together with people that you haven't seen in a while. I'm looking forward to this in seven weeks with y'all. Let me tell you a story about when this happened. When God came through in this area of my life. When, when this happened and it was just hilarious. I had a problem and I overcame it. I had a goal, I accomplished it, I made the right decision in something, I did something dumb in another area. Right, those are probably the most fun stories to hear, all the times that we didn't do things that we should have done, probably. But, you know, unfortunately, we also have stories we'd like to leave out, maybe entire chapters of our lives that we'd like to leave just completely out of our life story. But God is, is telling a story through our lives. And what's so, so interesting to me about our life story is that even the little insignificant moments in our lives tend to mean really big things when they get fleshed out. I met this person at the grocery store. Now this person is a big part of my life. Just random chance, and now we're best friends. Me, it was my wife. I met my wife on the very first day of college. She was sitting with a friend that I had, and my, my friend from childhood had a roommate that Rachel knew from a preview day from a random thing. They were together, and I came up to talk to my childhood friend, and I met Rachel. I met my, my future wife on day one of school by chance. Well, God, nothing's a chance for God, but you know, just those seemingly insignificant moments mean a lot in our lives, and they have a, a significant impact on the direction of our life. And maybe just a little thought exercise for you this week as you go. Maybe just think about maybe some of those insignificant moments in your past that really had lasting impact into your life. And I want you to just think about it this way. The, the decisions that we make today determine the story that we tell in the future. Right? Even these little insignificant decisions that we make in the moment today can have lasting impact into our future story that God is telling through our lives. So the question is, how do we live a story worth telling? How do we live that life? How do we better, as Paul says, how do we better grow in godliness? How do we better grow in Christ-likeness? How do we better grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? What are some things we can do today to help that happen this year? You know, every year here at the church, we do, we do this. <laughs> and we kind of make a New Year's resolution together, right? But it's not a, not a resolution. It's just more of a, this is what I want to do. I guess it is technically a revolution. This is, this is what I want to do this year. This is a decision that I want to make this year. This is, 
something that I want to do this year to help tell the story that God wants me to tell in my life. It's not like a New Year's resolution, like, hey, I want to go lose some weight or whatever. It's not a physical thing. It is a spiritual resolution. I'm going to invest in this. I'm going to to do this. And so I want to bring up four decisions that you can make this year. These are going to sound familiar if you've been here before. But I realized actually this morning also that we weren't here last New Year's, and so I don't know if I did this one. So maybe it's been a couple years. You're going to make make one of four decisions this year. The first decision is to start. To start. Start something new. Start a new spiritual discipline that helps us tell the story that God wants us to tell. Now I look at, when I think about this, I think about Daniel chapter 6 and Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel uh, was a man who was, had a ton of integrity, very Christ-like, even though Christ had not come yet, very godly. He was high up in the kingdom, and other people high up in the kingdom wanted to knock him down a little bit. So they go to the king, and they say, king, here's the deal. For the next 30 days... Anybody that prays to anybody but you, no God, no human being, anybody that prays to anybody or anything but you should be thrown into the lion's den. King says, that sounds good to me. (laughs) People should be praying to me. Ah, This sounds really good to me. And so he he signs that edict. And just listen to to what Daniel does in Daniel chapter 6 in verse 10. It says this, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. I want you to hear that last line. Just as he had done before. At some point in Daniel's life, could have been weeks, months, days, probably more like years, decades, Daniel made a decision to start praying three times a day. And he was going to do it in a very certain way. He was going to go up to his room. He was going to open the window toward Jerusalem. And he was going to pray. And nothing was going to stop him from that. Not even the threat of going into the lion's den would stop Daniel from praying. Just like he had done before. I love this about Daniel. Daniel made a decision to start something one day. And it transformed the story that God told through his life. So, which discipline can you start? This, this is what you want to do. Maybe you want to start a discipline this, this year. Well, I think there's, there's a lot of different spiritual disciplines that we can start. Jesus talks about three spiritual disciplines in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. So if you want to turn there with me, Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be for just a, a little bit here. Uh, and in Matthew chapter 6, like I said, Jesus actually gives us insight into three different spiritual disciplines Uh, that we can have in our own lives. And actually, not that we can have, but that we should have in our own lives. The first one is to give. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 1, says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, so when, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you give. This is a spiritual discipline that God expects us to have. Jesus' Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is probably, uh, you know, 
everybody says the Sermon on the Mount is, if you hear nothing else from Jesus, this is like the, if you hear nothing else, hear this from me, of Jesus. When you give. This is a spiritual discipline that you need to have. Giving is such an important, and such an important discipline to have as Christians. It's one of the most talked about things by Jesus, actually. And sometimes, uh, you know, we, we, we say when we're starting a new spiritual discipline, just start slow. Starting to read scripture. Just read a paragraph. <laughs> read, read one little section a day. Read one chapter a day. Just start whatever the slow is for you. Some people read a lot more than that. Whatever slow is for you, just start slow. This is the one area in scripture where there's not the kind of leeway <laughs> to start slow. is giving. Right, you go back just, just one book from Matthew back into the Old Testament, and you go to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, starting at verse 8. This is God speaking. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God says, test me in this. Test me in this. This is not something that I'm just kind of going after willy-nilly. I'm not just calling you to do this, saying, test me in this. If you don't think that I will just bless you if you give the full tithe, test me. Now, other places in Scripture, we see these words. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is God himself saying, test me in this. Test me and see if I will not just throw open the floodgates. Test me. All right, this is, this is a discipline that we're expected to have. Maybe it's a discipline that you need to start this year, this discipline of giving. Here's another discipline from Matthew chapter 6 is, is about praying. He, Jesus continues in this passage. And when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your rooms, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. There's just a little extra discipline of forgiveness there if you want to just do that. There's, if you need a sermon on forgiveness, there it is, verse 14 and 15 right there. But when you pray, when you pray, yeah, we did a series on prayer not too long ago teaching us kind of 
how to pray the kind of bold, honest prayers that God expects his people to pray. What do we pray for? Pray for, for unity among the believers. We pray for uh, strength and the power of the Spirit, that we would be united, we would be active in sharing our faith, that we would be able to discern what is right. We, we talk about all these prayers. I encourage you, if this is the decision you want to make this year, that you want to be uh, one who prays more, to, to go back and maybe listen to that series on our podcast. Just go listen to the kind of prayers that God expects of his people. But maybe this is you and you want to start praying. How do I pray? How do I start this discipline of praying? I think there's really three, three guidelines that I would give you. Pick a time. Pick a place. Be consistent. Pretty, pretty simple. If you want to start the discipline of prayer and be just really deep into prayer this year, three things. Pick a time. Pick a place. Be consistent. And I promise you, you will grow in your prayer life if you focus on this discipline of prayer this year. I know there are a lot of people who think, well, I can't, I can't pray very long. I get distracted and I, get, you know, I start praying and I start thinking about dinner and lunch and I start thinking about you know, barbecue. And I, I, for me, it was maybe me, maybe fantasy football, whatever you start to think about when you, when you start to pray. I promise you, if you just focus in, pick a time, pick a place, be consistent, your prayer life will grow. You will become more in tune with God. You'll become more in tune with his will for your life. You'll become more in tune with his voice if you just take the time to just focus in and pray. So maybe that's the discipline that you want to start this year. So we got when you give, when you pray. The third one that he talks about here is fasting. When you fast... Verse 16, when you fast, not if, but when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you fast. Fasting is probably... Not even probably. I would say it definitely is the most misunderstood spiritual discipline in the faith. A lot of people tend to think that it's just for the monks and the nuns and they're the ones that fast. But this is something that God calls every believer to. Jesus says if you believe, you're going you're gonna to fast. Now, there's all kinds of different fasts. Uh, fasting food or otherwise, however you want to fast. I think taking, fasting is essentially this. Taking time away from something that is normally done. Typically food, but for dietary reasons, I get some people can't do food. Taking away time from something that is typically done and taking the time that you would have spent on that thing. Dedicating that time to God in prayer and reading and just listening, just focusing in on his word, on his scripture, on his voice. And as we do that, God just begins to move in our lives. God begins to move in just incredible ways in our lives as we take the time to fast. I know that as I have fasted, some of the, some of the, some of the most, some of the biggest decisions I have ever made, saying yes to being the pastor here, for example, I did not make that decision without fasting. Me and my wife fasted for a couple days as we decided yes or no on this church. We felt like God was leading us here. I'm affirmed in that decision every single day. 
But we fasted. Fasting is a huge spiritual discipline. Now, there are other spiritual disciplines as well. Jesus says those three in chapter 6, but you can talk about the discipline of, of reading Scripture. You can talk about the discipline of maybe even just reading other books, reading about faith, reading about the Bible, reading about different aspects of our faith, reading other Christian books that will help you grow in your faith. Maybe the discipline you need this year is to, to find an accountability partner, to be accountable to them, to really start to really dive deep into, okay, hey, this is an area that I struggle in my faith. Can you help me with this? Will you pray with me about this? Pulling someone else in, maybe that's a discipline that you need, but maybe this is the year that you need to start. Start a new spiritual discipline. It doesn't have to be one of those. Maybe it's the year that you start, though. Now, number two, maybe it's the year you start. Maybe it's also the year that you stop. All of us have something in our lives that is hindering the story that God wants to tell in and through us. Might not be a big thing. Might not even be an obvious thing. Andy Stanley says that direction, not intention, determines destination. We can be the most well-intentioned person in the world, but it will not get us where we need to go unless we are headed in that direction. I can get on a plane intending to go see my grandpa in Oklahoma, but if the plane is going to Seattle, I'm not going to end up in Oklahoma. The same can be said in our spiritual life. If I, I, I have the greatest intent to go and to do this, but if there is something in my life that is leading me in the opposite direction, I'm probably not going to get there. Sometimes there needs to be some things in our lives that we stop. We make a decision to to stop and trying to take the decisions that we're making and play them forward in my mind and ask myself, you know, if I continue down this road, is this going to tell the story that God is trying to tell through my life? And a scriptural example of this, Exodus chapter 18. Uh, In Exodus chapter 18, uh, Moses is... Uh, leading the people of Israel. He's doing a great job leading the people of Israel. Uh, and uh, his father-in-law comes to visit. And he's telling him all the things that God has done. And Jethro is, is super excited about that. And in 18 verse 9, uh, Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done in Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses, Moses' father-in-law, in the presence of God. The next day, verse 13, Moses took a seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Moses was... Uh, oftentimes when we talk about trying to stop something, we think of the negative things in our life that we're trying to stop. Sometimes it can be a good thing. Uh, Moses was doing what he thought was the will of God. He was doing a good thing and being the judge over all the people, but Jethro in his wisdom says, look, this isn't good. You, You need to basically learn to delegate. You need to stop doing everything and learn to delegate. Yeah, you can still be the head, you can still, be, you can still handle the hard cases, but 
man, you need, to, you need to stop doing what you're doing. What you're doing is not good. And so sometimes in our own lives, I mean, there's, there's some things that we just need to stop. Maybe even a good thing that just is, is leading us in the wrong direction. We need to stop that in order for our story in our life to tell the story that God is trying to tell in our lives. Start, stop. The third thing is to stay. To stay when it would be easier to go. You're going to choose to stay when it would be easier to go. You know, so often we quit on something important when it would be better to stay. Sometimes we quit on God, we quit on the church, we quit on a friendship, we quit on a dream. When it would really be better to stay and we're going to decide this year to stay the course. When I think of a scriptural example of this, I don't have to go any further than the book of Ruth. Ruth was in a situation where it would be very easy for her and probably beneficial for her to go. Naomi had just lost her husband. She had lost her two sons and her two daughters-in-law. She was giving permission to go, to find a husband, to do what needs to be done. Right? And so gives us permission. But Ruth replies, don't urge me, in verse 16 in Ruth chapter 1, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. They're coming in for communion, everybody, so... Uh, they stopped urging her. But Ruth, Ruth had an opportunity to go. It would have been easier for Ruth to be able to go and to, to go back to find a husband who would be able to take care of her, to find someone who would be able to, uh, to do what needed to be done, to be able to take care of her, to be able to provide for her. It would have been easier for Ruth to go. But she chose to stay even though it would be the hard thing to do because she thought it was right. It was the right thing to do, and so she did it. All right, for some of you, you've got something going in your life where you just want to leave and start fresh. But I think God might be calling you just to stay and to stick it out, whether it be a job or a friendship, whatever it may be. The decision is to stay when it would be easier to go. That might be the decision you need to make this year. Here's the last decision, to go when it would be easier to stay. To go when it would be easier to stay. We're going to decide to go when it would be easier to stay. I can tell you this with 100% certainty. To tell the story that God is asking you to tell in your life, at some point you're going to have to leave the comfortable and enter the uncomfortable. You're going to have to go when it would be easier to stay. You're going to have to, to, to take a leap of faith or a step of faith, leave what's comfortable, leave what's known, and to honor God, you're going to stay. Uh, you're gonna, it'd be easier to stay, but you're gonna go, you're gonna go. There's an old proverb that says, to go somewhere else, you have to leave where you are. <laughs> to go somewhere else, you have to leave where you are. And, uh, you know, I think about, in scripture, I think about Abram, before he was Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. God says, go. Leave everything. And go to the place I'm showing you. You will be a blessing. Right? He's giving them all these reasons, but he just says, go. 
In fact, I'll read that for you. Genesis chapter 12, if you want to go there. Genesis chapter 12, I believe it's verse 1. Yeah, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. <laughs> Leave everything. Leave everything and go to the land I'm going to show you. Verse 2, I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God makes his promise to Abraham. And so what does he do? Very simply, verse 4, so Abram went. Abram went. Abram, Abram went. It would be easier, I believe, for Abram to stay where he was because it was comfortable. It was his land. It was his people. Everything that he had known. But God called him to go, and so he went. It'd be easier for him to stay, but he went. I think about this a lot. What if he didn't? <laughs> what if Abram didn't go? How does the whole... I mean, we talk about this in the Word of God story. All the, all the, how does the rest of this pan out? If Genesis 12, 4 doesn't happen, it says, so Abram went. I don't know that we know that answer. Now, I think I know, because I know the character of God, that he would have found a way to get what's done needed to be get, to get done what needed to be get done. But the story would have been different. It might have been someone else's name that we read about, just people of Israel. But I want you to think about this. Is there something that God is calling you to this year? When it would be easier to, to not go, it would be easier to stay in your little comfortable box, but God is calling you to go, will you go? What happens if you don't? Will God tell the story that he was planning on telling through you through someone else? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe you'll find a way to, to tell the story through you anyways, even in spite of you. <laughs> so I don't, know. I don't know. I don't know what decision you need to make this year. It might not even be one of these four. I trust it's not one of these four. God's already speaking to you, moving in your heart to say, this is where I want you to do this year. Maybe this year you need to start. Start a new spiritual discipline. Start something new. Maybe this is the year you need to stop. Stop something that is hindering the story that God wants to tell through your life. Maybe this is the year you need to, uh, to stay when it would be easier to go. I don't know what situation that is. Maybe a job, maybe a friendship, I don't know. Maybe this is the year you need to decide to go. You know, it's funny, we do this pretty much every year. And those four decisions don't usually change in my sermon. I think maybe once they did. But I've talked to many of you who have said, you know, every year, God gives me a new one. <laughs> Isn't God amazing? The story that God is telling in our lives is his story to tell. It's our decision whether we're going to allow that to happen in and through us. Will we tell the story that God wants to tell in and through our lives? You know, I, I want to... I mean, I'm praying for you as you make that decision, but I want to end our service this morning in a way that we haven't done in a while, and that is through communion. Um, I'm not sure that there is a better way to end the season of Advent and begin the new year. As we come on this side of the promise that the light of the world has come, I think it's important to also remember 
why the light of the world had to come. It's also important to just remind ourselves, this is, this is it. The body of Jesus was broken for me. The blood of Jesus was shed for me. And we remind ourselves of that through the act of communion. Communion has been something that has been done from, from the very beginning. Generation to generation of Christian has, has taken part in this sacrament of communion to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. You know, normally I have people come up and, and, uh, and help me pass these out, but I want to do a little different this morning. If you're able, I want to be able to serve you communion before my sabbatical. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray over the elements, and if you're able, I want you to, to walk up, down the aisle, come get the elements from me, and go back to your seat. If you're not able... Just wait until the end and I'll come to you. Uh, but I want to be able to serve you communion before I go. So um, let me say a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll begin communion. God, thank you for the season of Advent that we have to remind ourselves of the gift of your son and why you came. God, I don't know that there's a better way to end the season of Advent than with communion. As we are reminded for the last month of the coming of Jesus, I think it's fitting to remind us as we leave the season of Advent and enter a new year to remind ourselves of, of why he came. You came. You lived the life that we couldn't live. You died the death that we deserve to die. You were raised again to life so that we might be with you forever, God. And this this, these elements of communion, God, these just, they're, they're reminders for us. And so, God, I just pray that as we do this, we would just have some time of reflection and we would just, uh, just be reminded this morning of the gift of your son and really the why this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to come right up here, and if you would come, just come and grab your elements. Don't take the elements. We'll take them all together at the end. But just come and grab your elements this morning. Scripture teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread and be thankful. continues in the same way. After supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Take the cup. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for the sacrifice that you made in your son Jesus. We're thankful that through his sacrifice, we can be saved. God, we're reminded, as we talked about on Christmas Eve, my, my favorite Christmas verse, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes would not perish but have eternal life. God, we're thankful for that gift. God, as we're 
as we take these elements, as we have received them, God, I just pray that you would just continue to remind us of the gift of your son. Remind us of the why of Christmas, God. God, we love you. We give you thanks. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, would you stand with me this morning as we end our time together? And uh, when it's just like every other time with a blessing from God. And so you just hold your hands out and just receive this blessing. May our God, God of grace and truth and love, may he go with you and ahead of you this week. May he be with you in your homes, in your workplaces, wherever you may find yourself. That because of his sacrifice, he might empower you and encourage you to make a difference wherever you may find yourself. Go with the light of Christ this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, everybody. It's good to see you all.